Keith, they've uh, welcomed you here into the belly of the beast. We're inside the glass-enclosed nerve center of Catholic University football here. Well, it's true that I've had some good days here at Catholic and some not-as-good days well. But it, it all, all's fair. There's a Jeff Clay uh, plaque outside the room here <laughs> and that honors his All-American, and I gave up somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 of those receptions. So I think uh, I think I have a part in that as well. <laughs> was that one game or is that two games? Well, I'm remembering the 14 reception game in 97. I didn't give up all those, I imagine. Uh, I, def I remember giving up a touchdown in 96. It was a. Um, we're uh, later in this podcast. We're going to have a conversation with Mike Atilius, who's the head coach here at Catholic. I've driven halfway across the country just to do this, maybe nice, also to pick nice. up a, a kid from uh, from the first year of college at a, a different non-division three college here in this city. But it's nice to just be in the same room doing this face to face. True. How did you let your child go to a non-division three school? You should have been like <laughs> only D three. <laughs> well. Um, I think the folks at the University of Chicago know why my kid is not at a Division oh, three school. Oh, right? Good point. <laughs> when they only let four uh, percent of their applicants in in any given year, that was the uh, that was the number one choice, and some other school here in Washington, not Georgetown, was a uh, was the other choice. The Catholic and Georgetown have a rivalry. This I learned this today. Yeah, the uh, the Stephen Dean Memorial Trophy, which uh, we I guess we could break some news is going to be back on the line in 2019. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. We're the largest division with the smallest schools. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. My co-host, Keith McMillan, intercepted four passes on this field that's uh, sitting out there right behind me in 1996, and he joined the site in 1999. Keith, um, I know we've talked about those four interceptions many, many, multiple times. Tell me something new that uh, I haven't heard about. I got ran over by Kevin Ricca in that game on like the 10 yard line. And they must have played it like 23 times in film review. Uh, and that's one of my enduring memories of that, of that game, not just uh, intercepting the passes, but that I kind of lollygagged up to the quarterback, like I'm gonna knock this guy out and he just went right through me. Uh, yeah, Kevin Ricca is a big guy. He totally was about 225, something like that, wasn't he? Um, that's certainly very possible. I don't know what we listed him at. Uh, the, probably listed at 5'11", 210. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm boosting it up because it sounds better to get run over by no, 225. No, I think it's better to list a quarterback at 210 than at 225. So 225 is probably pretty legitimate. Uh, I drove uh, 1,200 miles to be here for this podcast, but it gave me a lot of time, Keith, to stew about that damn NFL draft. I'm, I'm still really pissed about D3 getting passed over for the third year in a row. I felt like we had multiple guys worthy of getting drafted into spots this year. Yeah, I find it hard to be um, too angry about it, but um, but uh, I, it sounded to me like Michael Joseph, the cornerback from Dubuque, had a pretty good shot at getting drafted. And um, and then and then of course we talked to Matt Gano. <laughs> you, sh you, sh Gono. you shook me off. Yes. I know. Sorry. I knew we I was going to do did, it wrong. We did talk to him. Yes. <laughs> Gono. Uh, I, clearly, I haven't listened to this podcast since the day we did it. You know, we thought he had a chance as well, and those guys both uh, ended up with with NFL teams. So I think that in the end is the important part. I don't think teams are necessarily more inclined to keep a seventh round pick than they are an undrafted free agent if the undrafted free agent is um, impressive. The main thing D3 guys want is an opportunity, and uh, we have a handful of guys who've got one of those. 
So we mentioned Gono. He's uh, he was signed by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Baltimore Ravens signed uh, John Carroll linebacker Mason McKenrick. That's a guy who hadn't really been on our radar in terms of getting signed, but he was certainly on our radar come All American time last year. Sure. Uh, Michael Joseph with the Bears uh, already mentioned. Uh, Niall Scott signed with the San Francisco 49ers. That's the D tackle from. Frostburg State. Uh, C.J. Johnson, uh, linebacker for East Texas Baptist, another guy who definitely was not on our radar for getting signed, uh, got picked up by the Packers. And that's one of the things about this process is as much research as we do and as many people as we talk to, there's always going to be some guy who impresses really well on film or has great speed. I think you would be impressed with my speed. Or, you know, great strength or whatever that fits the NFL mold and that maybe just wasn't in the position to excel at a spot where you might get an All-American nod. Sure. In all honesty, what we're looking at for all region and all American is production. Uh, you're yeah. looking for people who, who've watched the games, the people who vote on all region, um, to be impressed by that person. You know, they, they will have been impressed by him consistently over the course of a season or, or multiple seasons. And the NFL sometimes is just projecting. I mean, a lot of times they say when you're drafting a guy from a small school, you want him to have dominated at his level. But also sometimes it's just size and speed or size or speed or you know the physicality and they say look we can we can um, hone his technique but you can't make a, a, a 6 3 295 pound defensive tackle you know you, you you can fix that you can't you can't what do they can't teach size what right. I'm getting at yeah. or you can't coach yeah, you can't yeah those things um, hey, let's, we're, we'd be terrible coaches. We can't even master the cliches. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've said this on the show before. I, I abhor cliches like the plague, so we're sure. good. It's also a time of year where some schools are gearing up for foreign tours. We're going to talk with Norm Ash, the head coach at Illinois Wesleyan. His team not going abroad this year, but they did last year. They went to Japan. Has a lot of interesting things to say about that. Um, and, I, you know, I, we could go through and list schools that are going places right now, but generally it's about a dozen or so, and I know we would leave many of them out. When we talk about this with Normesh later, just throwing out the rules about this now, in order to get 10 extra practices with pads, you get to have a legitimate spring practice. You can do these things once every three years. Uh, Coach Esh will talk about some of the benefits of it from a camaraderie standpoint, but I, I think that uh, any school that has an opportunity to take advantage of this really should. Sure. Longtime podcast listeners will know that we always point out that the playoff teams, the longer they play in the playoffs, it also comes with extra weeks of practice. Therefore, they get, in theory, their young players or their, their players on the playoff roster get better, and it sort of spins forward for the next year. This is one way uh, teams can sort of break in to that by, by um, getting to snag a few extra practices. But I think every coach we've talked to about this, and we've done at least one podcast before that I could think of off top. Glenn Caruso talked about taking uh, his team, not overseas, right? They just went to Canada, if I they remember They went correctly. to Canada and Italy in the same okay. year. That's a whole different story. But. All right. You know, they. I think they really think the, the bonding part is the big part. And, um, you know, it, ha it has to be. You spend not just extra time with, with the guys you're on the team with, but when you travel, I mean, some of my favorite memories to this day are from the road trips, not just from game action. And uh, imagine if you take that and you and you put it in Ireland or Italy or you know we were Finland or anywhere in in Europe, Mexico, Canada, whatever. Also going on, of course, you know, kids are packing up their dorm rooms or their apartments. They're headed wherever they're headed for the summer. Uh, we're talking with uh, Westminster PA coach Scott Benzel a little bit later about this, but uh, what your take on or your memories of what summer as a D3 student athlete was like for you in the late 90s? What, what kind of, you know, 
football-related activities or whatever would you do? I mean, in all honesty, uh, the, the internet did exist then, um, but the way um, Coach Benzo was talking about keeping in touch with his players was was it sounded innovative to me, even though they're just they're basically just they got a private Twitter set up um, because they used to send us home with a booklet. And it would have your workouts for the summer, and you know you're supposed to do them. If you skip, there's nobody there to tell you that you skipped. The, the enforcement is the day you get there, you run 16 110s or 300-yard shuttle runs or whatever it is, and they could tell um, if you haven't been running. So I, I think um, I remember definitely the years I I knew I was going to play. Um, you know, you, you think you'd think in the early years you'd do it because you want to break into the lineup, but when you know you're going to play and you know they're going to notice. When you're out of shape coming in, you know, I remember doing the workouts, running by myself on a field in Haddonfield, New Jersey, back and forth, because I didn't want to do the 110s and be and be dead when I got there. Um, but yeah, all we did was give you a paper, like a paper booklet, and you and you follow the workout, you know, would have your whatever, three sets of 10 of these, and you do all that, the, the weight room one day and the running the other day, but you're on your own. You're your own coach. Um, and I think that's some of that's probably still true, but the more guys can stick together with other guys, you know, they can sort of police each other. So if you can stay in town um, or, um, or if you, you, you know, you, you, somebody from your high school or from your same area can work out with you, or even some, some of your friends that go, that play at different colleges and may have different workout programs, just having them with you, I know was the big, um, just having somebody help enforce you and push you along. Cause you know, your, your human nature is to, to quit when it starts to hurt. Uh, I also, especially, uh, appreciate you joining me on the day of your daughter's birthday. You said you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder. Is that actually today or is that just coming up? It was a couple of days ago, okay. but it was midweek, so she, we've, she's she been able to stretch out the celebration. They, they actually, had the, actually had the party last Saturday, but we haven't done anything together, so we could have like a, a birthday dinner tonight and invite one of her friends over and couldn't make it. So she's been, she's been milking this one. This is also a good time to take note that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace field turf, uh, add a uh, fancy scoreboard to their stadium, all sorts of things by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here before we go to break. Think about it. Drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com because you're definitely missing out. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, I'm joined by Norm Esch, the head coach at Illinois Wesleyan University. Coach Esch of 200 career wins, more than 30 years here as the head coach here in uh, Bloomington, Illinois. And first of all, Coach, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. I can see you have uh, some packages to hand out to some graduating seniors, so I expect a, a busy weekend is coming. Well, this is graduation weekend. It's always kind of a melancholy weekend for me because, you know, you get to – uh, experience um, these young men for four years. You see them grow, and um, now they're ready to go off and be successful. So uh, graduation Sunday, and so I have some graduation presents for them, and uh, they're supposed to come by and get them. Hopefully they will. Coming off of a season last year in which you guys started with a trip to Japan, which is, I think, of the places that uh, Division three programs have gone overseas is probably the most ambitious I've seen. What do you feel like the benefits are? What do the kids get out of it? What does the program get out of that uh, that extra off-season experience? 
Well, we've taken some great trips here. Our first trip was to um, Hamburg, Germany, and then we went to uh, uh, Milan, Italy, and then went to uh, uh, Paris um, in France and played a game, and then we came back and uh, we went to uh, Vienna, Austria, and then did a, a trip to Finland and Stockholm. And we wanted to go a different direction this time. Uh, I've never been to Asia. Our kids have never been to Asia. And so we started uh, working with Pat Steenberg again, Patrick Steenberg with uh, Global Football. And um, the university systems over in Japan are very well organized, and uh, they have some great teams over there. And I was a little concerned because it wasn't like Europe. Europe, Europe is club teams. And so uh, we had this chance to go over and play the number two ranked team in Tokyo, which is Wasada University. They play a national championship game over there. There's 100,000 people watching that game. They play in the baseball stadium. We had the tape on it. Uh, Ganza Gaken um, won the national championship, but Wasada had a good showing. And so I was concerned. I mean, we went in. We we had a lot of game preparation for this because we didn't. You don't never want to go and and play a national international competition and lose. Because, you know, when you start the game, they put up their flag and you put up the American flag. It's, it's a little bit uh, uh, more meaning, I guess. But uh, it was a great trip, uh, well-played game. Um, I was surprised by the Japanese. Um, they were very athletic. They were very well coached. They didn't quite have the size to match up with us. Um, but, uh, you know, we came, we came out with a win. And, and those, those trips really do a lot for you in preparing for the season. What's the cost on a trip to Asia being one thing, I suspect probably more expensive, but how about a, a trip to Europe, for example? What does it cost to take? I'm guessing this is about 45 or so players over uh, in a summer or something like that. Yeah, I think the normal trip can be anywhere from 3800 to $4,200 for each kid. And, of course, each player pay, pays their own way, and, and there's different ways they do that. Sometimes they just ask for sponsorship money and go to relatives and grandparents and so forth. And uh, we have never done any fundraising for our trips because we're not allowed to do that here in Illinois Wesleyan. So it's really been on the kids. But we've always taken, uh, to Tokyo we took about 50 kids, but we've always taken anywhere from 50 to 65 kids on these trips. And, and there'll be some parents that go along too. But just the camaraderie that is developed when you take kids for 10 days into a foreign country and you're on a plane and, and you're staying in hotels and um, just in a foreign country, your team really bonds. And so there's a big correlation between taking these trips and then coming back and winning a conference title. There really is. Here at the level, especially where we don't get pads for spring practice, we don't get full spring practice per se, when a team goes overseas or takes a foreign tour, you then also get 10 padded practices. How much does that help? I think it helps a great deal. Now, you got to remember, it's only the kids that are going on the trip. It didn't used to be that way, and then they changed the rule. But I think what happens is because we are non-padded with our regular non-traditional season, you know, you start experiencing or experimenting with, you know, new schemes and things like that. And you don't know how they're going to be until actually you put pads on. Well, when you take a foreign trip, then you got those 10 practices to find out, okay, do you really still like this instead of waiting in the fall to see if it's going to work for you. So I think that's the big um, advantage there. Um, no doubt about it. I mean, we had last spring, we had 25 practices and everybody else had 15. So I think there is advantage, and we had a game. Um, so I think there is a big advantage. And uh, also, there's always, every spring, there's, there's personnel question marks. And so I think you get some of those answered before you get to the fall. Uh, you guys come out of the gate, maybe not immediately out of the gate, but really hit the the national consciousness last year with the win at Whitewater. And you talked about, you know, just now, 
coming out and winning a conference title, also coming out strong out of the gate. How did how did you guys feel? What's kind of the mood of the program after having gone up to Whitewater and uh, come away with that victory? Well, first of all, that game was here. I, I said, well, I'm already playing North Central on the road. I'm playing Wheaton on the road. I'm not going to play Whitewater on the road. I'll play you, but I'll play you here. And he had to get back with his AD, and then we agreed to it. So it was a one-year contract. They would come down here. Um, first of all, I have a utmost respect for Whitewater and their program, and, and Kevin does a great job. And, um, you know, we had a, a good senior class, and with the spring game, uh, I thought we were ready to play them. And, and of course, um, we had three great goal line stands in the game to really, you know, keep us in the game. And then uh, uh, winning the, f- the football game, you know, it was it was a big win for us. I mean, it's probably the It'll go down as in the history of our program as one of the greatest opening day wins, wins ever. So it was great to get the season started that way, and we got everyone's attention in, in Division Three. I think we did. You know, I had so many. It took me like four days just to answer all the texts and emails of people, you know, talking to me and congratulating me and things like that. I remember Larry Karras calling me <laughs> and congratulate me and saying, "Norm, I know how hard it is to beat Whitewater," and so um, you know things like that. Uh, it, it was fun to experience, but you know it's always the next game and the next week and so forth. And we still had some tough, tough opponents ahead. Of course, a, a one-year contract, probably in most part because the CCIW continues to expand. Added Carroll for all sports a couple of years ago, adding uh, Wash U for football this year. So the CCIW now is basically uh, fully fleshed out for football at ten teams. Well, you got to remember, yes, Carroll came in the league two years ago, and uh, I was when I first started here. Carroll was in the league. They were in the league to '91, and uh, they left. Uh, I thought it was good that they came back in the league, and I think it took them a year to, really, two years to get used to the Seaside W again. But I look for them to get stronger um, as the longer they're in the league. Uh, this year, uh, Washington University out of St. Louis is going to come to the league. I think it's a, a great move for them, also a great uh, move for our, our conference. Uh, Coach Kimbaum does a great job at WashU. Um, they're always well coached. They have tremendous, tremendously smart kids down there, of course, and they always have really good athletes. And so um, it's going to be fun to play them because we, we have played them as a non-conference team in the past. And um, I think it's always good for Illinois Wesleyan and Washington U to get together, and, and there's some similarities between the schools. Of course, we don't have graduate programs, but uh, you know we're a high academic school, and they're very high academic. But uh, it'll be good for them because now they're in a league and they have a chance to, to be an automatic qualifier. And, and, and when you're in the Seaside W, there's a good chance if you have one loss that you're going to get in the playoffs too. You have seen... Division three football and college football in general, but change I assume quite a bit. I you know right here prominent on your desk is of course a ball that commemorates your 200th career win, which was the last regular season game of this past season. Been a head coach for more than 30 years. You know just tell us a little bit about the kind of not roller coaster, but maybe the ups and downs or ebbs and flows would be a better way to put it of your career. Well, it's it, first of all, it, I'm, I'm at a great institution. Illinois Wesleyan is a great place to be. I mean, it's evident because my coach who I played for, Coach uh, Don Larson, was here for 34 years. I mean, we've had two coaches in 67 years. So there's a lot of tradition here. So there's a lot of continuity. Uh, there's a lot of consistency. And sometimes you don't see that in football programs, no matter what level you're at, whether it's Division One, Two, II, or Three. The game is still the same. It's football. Uh, but, you know, there's there's different trends going on now, you know, everyone's is running the RPOs, you know, which is really another fancy word for play action with a read on it, you know. 
so the game evolves a little bit. Um, but I think the the big thing is um, being around the kids and, and, you know, young people keep you young. I mean, you're always going to have challenges with young people because college is a time for them to experience uh, things in life. And the greatest teacher in life is trial and error. You just hope the error is not too great. But it's fun to be part of that. And we've always been blessed here in Illinois Wesleyan to have really good student athletes. And I think every coach develops a culture. And I took the culture that Coach Larson had here and and expanded upon it. I mean, I thought he did a great job with the traditions and so forth. And I kept those traditions and I added some some more traditions to it. And I'm sure there's going to be a Coach Larson error and there's an ish error, you know. And, but our program culture has always been the same. We try to do things the right way and, and uh, uh, win with uh, uh, honor and dignity and things like that and uh, try to do things the right way. I mean, I think that's the big thing. And I don't think that's changed here. But uh, kids are definitely different with the social media and things like that and recruiting has changed, all those things. I mean, uh, that's why I hire good young assistants because they keep me up to snuff on all those things. But I'm sure if you talk to any coach that's – uh, coaching now that's my age, they're going to say that they rely on young people to help them with all the, the social media stuff. We talked about the fact that you have uh, 31 players graduating uh, here this year. That sounds, I'm sure, to a lot of people like Illinois Wesleyan is going to take a couple steps back, like it's going to be a, a rebuilding year rather than a reloading year. Tell us a little bit about what's coming back for you guys in 2018. Well, first of all, we're going to miss those seniors that are graduating, and, and we did have a fantastic year. Anytime you can beat the number three ranked and number four ranked team in the country, and we didn't get the job done against the number seventh ranked team, which was North Central, but it was a close ball game, and you know, and uh, it was 13 to 13 at halftime, and um, actually took the opening kickoff in the second half down and scored and had those points taken off, and then I think we got beat by some field goals. But you know, we had a great year. Uh, we, were, we shared the conference title with North Central, uh, got in the playoffs. Um, had a lot of postseason honors with you know some of our players being All-American and Player of the Year and things like that. And I think there's a tendency for people to say, well, Wesleyan is going to be down and they got to replace. Um, over the last three or four years, I think we've done a good job of, of bringing in talented young men, and, and they kind of pay their dues their first two years, and by the time they're a junior year, they're ready to step up and play. Um, we have some people coming back. I mean, uh, of course, you know, you always have to have a little luck, luck and we, we won some close games last year, of course, you know, Wheaton and Whitewater that could have went either way and Carthage. I mean, but you 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 find a way to win, and, and that's because you're players and they believe in what you're doing. But I think we, we're going to be uh, uh, a very good squad next year. Uh, we have our whole secondary back. We have um, two defensive linemen back, so there's a solid core there. And I and I think the linebackers could be just as good as our linebackers that we had last year, and they were really good. We had three all-conference linebackers. So we're, we're pretty um, um, excited about our defense. Offensively, we have all our skill players back. Um, Brandon Bauer, our quarterback, is was only a sophomore. All our receivers were sophomores, and our two running backs were juniors and uh, all our tight ends and H-backs, whatever you want to call them, are back. The big thing we have to do offensively is replace uh, four of the five offensive linemen, and three of those were uh, all-conference, and they were seniors. So, But there's some people ready to step up, and we'll just you know keep our fingers crossed, and, and they're ready to go next fall. Keith, we already talked about the rules around foreign tours uh, in the opening of our podcast, but uh, boy, Coach Esch is really high on more D3 teams going to Japan. Uh, I had a long conversation with him about an hour 
extra that wasn't recorded, but he really talked about the high-quality college football that's being played there and provides a better competition for a D3 team than many of the club teams in Europe can uh, can manage. That, that's what you want to get out of this experience, not just the bonding, but you want your football team to get better as well. So if you can do both of those things, it's uh, it's it's ideal. And, and he seemed to have had enough experience with these overseas trips to uh, to to when you know when they when they reached out and decided they wanted to do Asia, uh, that they figured out how to get both things out of the trip: the, the team bonding and some good competition. But I, I thought it was fascinating how he said you don't want to go on this trip and lose because you're you know you're yeah. you're representing not only the United States but you're representing basically the 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 country that keeps american football you know that carries the flag for it literally and uh and figuratively so um yeah you you, you don't want to go on that trip i mean yeah oh think, i know when we think about what is it tazon de estrellas the tazon de estrellas well uh, you did better than i did actually you um, threw me a curveball i wasn't expecting to speak spanish on this podcast today oh wow this is your you love that i know um there have been right there have been very few times the the that the, our team uh, has yeah. lost yeah, it's been more lately, I think, because just you, when it, when that used to be done by the AFCA, and you really did get a true all-star true. team of the best kid from you know each of forty-five different schools. It's different now. It's like seven kids from one school and five kids from another because it's it's just a different animal. I do have a story around this. Oddly enough, summer uh, between junior and senior year of high school, I went with a uh, foreign exchange trip to the Soviet Union. Not a sports group, just a bunch of kids, a bunch of high schoolers from around the country, behind the Iron Curtain, still 89 before uh, all of that. And we ended up playing a pickup baseball game against a, a Soviet baseball team of kids around our age, kind of a, a wide variety. But we had a group where we had two people who played baseball, uh, played high school varsity baseball. We had a, a softball player and then just a bunch of people who had, you know, whatever, might have played Little League or something like that. We lost that game. I pitched. I don't pitch. I really don't pitch. I had to pitch that game because I had thrown some batting practice and I could throw a bad changeup, a flat curve, and a uh, bad knuckleball. Similarly to American football, baseball is a quintessential American sport, and there was definitely a lot of pressure in that situation. I, that, that's two minutes that maybe the podcast didn't need, but I'm never going to get to tell that story otherwise. Hey, somebody told me one time podcasts are about personalities, and so... If people enjoy your personality, I well, did I hope ask so. them. Yeah, then they're they're gonna love that part of the podcast. And when you deviate off off subject, although I thought that was that was in in line, and it re- reminds me of probably the only semi pro story I've ever told. Right? Was it was one time I was they were actually gonna start me at quarterback in a playoff game because when you're when semi pro team they don't have a bus. You know, all, you know, everybody comes on their own, and so yeah. all the quarterbacks were riding together, and their their car was running late, and they f- found out I played quarterback in high school, and I was taking the snaps in pregame, and luckily the <laughs> car showed up, and and uh, I didn't have to play. But the what it the point of bringing that up, it it fits in this case, is um, you forget how good you get at at football when you, because of the way D three is sometimes viewed here here in um, in the United States, where it's like the it's looked down upon in some ways, and um, then you go somewhere where where the the competition isn't as stiff, and you realize, man, we actually are really good at this in in the grand scheme of things. Uh, the other thing that I asked Coach Esh off the air and uh, did not previously mention is I uh, I asked him if if he was going to retire. Guy's been, as he said, head coach for what thirty three years, something like that. 
he, did, of course, did not commit to answering the question. I assume he's certainly got at least a couple more years left in him, and maybe it's to the point where if you're an incoming freshman, you might not have Coach Esch all the way through, but you might still. He's He still looks good. He sound, certainly sounds good, and uh, they're playing well right now. You know, you you build for 30 years. You're obviously trying to maintain a tradition, but yeah. also you, you, you've you get better at recruiting and, and um, you know you're finally at a point where you're where your team's not quite on top but they're they're nine wins made the playoffs last season probably can't wait to get back to playing after the way the playoffs ended um, hey you don't want to you don't want to walk away now you're like you're on the cusp of something really great Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Scott Benzel, head coach at Westminster College in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania. First of all, coach, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, join me this afternoon. Um, when I was on campus this afternoon, first thing I saw was a bunch of kids moving out, and it made me think, you're going, everybody's going into the summer period, you don't have contact with your guys. How many of your guys are from the area, stick around, work out together? Um, or how many might stay on campus to, uh, you know, kind of continue to have that uh, team experience over the summer? Yeah, we're we're a little unique in the sense of, uh, you know, we're a little rural as far as our campus. We're out in New Wilmington. So um, generally a, a good portion of our guys, I would say roughly 65 70% of the roster, are within a two-hour window of campus. So sort of how we try to um, keep guys around is we, we're working the, the job thing right now. We're trying to contact alumni and see if there's opportunities for the guys to work so they can work in and you know, maybe take a class and so they have the ability to use our facilities and more importantly just keep football first and foremost in their mindset. You know, If you want to be good, I think that's important. It's got to be a all-year-round situation. Right. But um, you know, we also use our Twitter account, to be honest with you. We've created a WC Strength Twitter account. And so what we do there is have the ability to post every day. And we encourage our guys to sort of post as well on the Twitter account. It's private, so it's just us. And what that can create is a little bit more of a competition. You know who's working. Um, it's some accountability. And it keeps us creatively have the ability to try to stay on our guys and and if we don't hear from a guy let's say in three weeks well then we kind of call him out so to speak and that sort of gets him back in the fold and so um it helps i mean you want to see guys out there working and so you know from a percentage standpoint we'll probably have 30 guys on the roster that'll consistently be around the facility or throwing throwing the balls around and things like that so that's a pretty good number for us right because the days are gone when guys would not necessarily take the summer off, but maybe not take it so seriously, and then use camp to get back into shape. You expect guys, and everybody expects guys, to come in ready to work. Yeah, you kind of have to. We just – our camps are so limited. You know, you're, you're looking at 21 days of trying to get a team prepared to play. And, and in our situation, we're open up against Wittenberg, who's, a, you know, a typical top 15 team in the country. So – you just don't have the time. So it, we always say this is part of the self-motivator phase. You know, we try to break the seasons into the year into four or five different categories, and we, we really pitch this as self-motivation. You know, you've got to have the ability to be in shape, come in camp in shape. And I always say it really honestly, and, and, I, and I don't beat the drum much about it, but I always say, look, when you walk on campus on report day, 
we don't have to ask. We'll, we'll see it. You, you'll see the, the bodies and you'll see the mentality. And if you've put the work in, it'll show up. Long tradition for Westminster in the NAIA. Uh, walk through the athletic facilities and there's just, you know, the hall is lined with uh, NAIA All-American teams from various sports, but obviously a lot of football. Westminster's been in the in Division Three for not quite 20 years. Um, and you've been the head coach for four of them. And it seems like just recently, in the last couple of years, the program has kind of taken a turn to, I don't know, at least if not necessarily get back to the level where winning multiple national championships over the course of a decade, being in the position to compete in the PAC and maybe have a shot at the playoffs. Yeah, you can, um, if, you, if you take one step into our athletic field house, you'll see the You'll see the six national championships, the, the great tradition, the great history. It is a big part of why I'm there because uh, ultimately you can be a great coach and you know you can have great assistants, good players, but you've got to have a uh, administration and alumni that really wants to be successful. And so when when I when I talk about Westminster and the tradition, you've got six national championship teams, but you've got uh, so much more years of maybe teams that were runner-up or maybe lost in the second round. So you have such a, a vast history of successful uh, players that went through there and coaches that, you know, right away you've got people that care. Um, and for me, that's that's everything. I, and I always kind of joke and say this, but what was Idaho State's record last year? You know, they were FBS. You, you don't know. Um, it's the people that care. And, and so I could be at Idaho. It's a Division One school. But if you're not winning, um, really, is it, is it that important? You know, so I wanted to be at a place that was competitive. And, um, you know, our transition from NAIA to Division Three was difficult because it's a scholarship situation versus a non-scholarship. So how do you play in that space? And it was kind of unique in terms of how they approached me about it because – I came from a, a, a FCS, a 1AA background, and so, hey, we're not scholarship. But that never really deterred me from this is how we recruit, this is how we build a program. It really doesn't matter. Um, you know, I know the money situation may be a little differently, but I think there's so many good players that need an opportunity, but you got to go out and recruit them. And right away, that's, that's what we did. Western Pennsylvania football has a you know a, a tradition, but a, a characteristic, a reputation going back decades and decades. Has that how has that uh, has that changed over the years? Do you still see like the same style of football and style of kids coming out of this part of the country as we did you know thirty forty years ago? It's changed somewhat in in terms of the numbers. Um, you, you know, you just don't have the big population density that um, maybe some other uh, areas have, you know. However, the style of kid, you still have a, a, a mom and dad hardworking type of background for the most part. Um, and, and the coaches in the western Pennsylvania area, in the Whippeal, if you will, um, they still f like toughness. They still favor the tough style of game. You don't see – as much spread and, and, and air raid. And you, you're going to still see some teams that are going to line up and try to dictate the line of scrimmage and be physical and play great defense. So there is still some of that old school, um, which I adhere to. I grew up in the area, um, and I always take a lot of pride in it. Um, but you also have to have playmakers, and, and, and you've got to get – you know, it's nice to throw a five-yard hitch and it goes 95 yards. Um, 
that 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 works as well. So you got to find the blend, and I think the area has done a better job of doing that and coveting that. But the blood and guts, or the you know, you know the uh, upfront guys, and it's still a big part of what we are and our identity. I'm thinking back through the uh, way too many years I've been doing this, and uh, I've been to a, a couple of W and J home games. I've been to. Uh, Teal in their playoff year at a home game there. It always seems like there are, and just looking at like attendance numbers and photos and stuff like that, it looks like there's a lot of great game day atmospheres in the PAC and in, in Western Pennsylvania. So it, people still come out for football and football is still treated by the locals in, in that same manner, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, what, football is, it, it's a passion. You know, it's something that it's just in our kind of DNA, if you will. And you know, even at, it, where we're at, again, it's a rural area. I love our game day atmosphere. I, I think we do such a great job of um, getting fans there and, and support, you know, because, again, they're, they're attached to that era when we've won so much. And so there was a little bit of law, uh, you know, and you've addressed it, and, and we've gotten sort of back. And I think anything when you're winning and you're successful, um, you, you start to get the following and you start getting some of that – you know, those fans back in engaged and, and they like, they also really value smart football, clean football, hard football. But, um, you know, and, and I think our fans in particular like that style and, and it's, it's, been, it's been fun to do. It really has. Like we mentioned earlier, you guys have been competitive in the conference over the course of the past few years. Um, Thomas Moore comes off the schedule. You guys still have, uh, you know, obviously some battles with uh, W&J is not going to go away. That's when I fell for leader of the pack. Carnegie Mellon's been really good. Case Western Reserve has been fantastic. How do you feel like you guys stack up in the PAC coming into 2018? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The, the PAC for me is, is it's it's gotten better, and and I think we had a lot to do with it. To be honest with you, I think you know it had been a two team league. It had been Thomas Moore and W and J's forever, um, and I think we got in and got competitive really quickly. Uh, within you know two years, we went from a four and six to a nine and two situation, and you know by our third year we beat W and J, and then this year we beat Thomas Moore. So. I think Carnegie Mellon as well, you know, with 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 what they've done and when they've come into the league and and, and Case, uh, here's a here's a unique fact for you. Name a team that lost to three games that to three teams that were 30 and 0 last year. That was us. We lost three games to three teams that were 10 and 0, 10 and 0, 10 and 0. So in both of those, two of those three losses, we lost literally with the last possession. Uh, one of them was a two-point conversion, WJ, and the second one was we had the ball in the eight-yard line, a wit chance to win it. Um, so, you know, we're there. Uh, it's just you have to put yourself in that position over and over again. And, and you know, if you get yourself in those positions enough times, you're going to break through. We're close. 2018 is an interesting um, dynamic because a lot of those schools that we just had mentioned, very senior-laden. So they're graduating a ton of guys. So it'll be – I think this year is going to be um, as competitive as we've seen it in that league because, you know, your traditional schools are, are, are graduating a lot of guys. And so it's going to be unique. Our perspective in 2018 is we've got to not reinvent the wheel. We've been very consistent in our approach, which I've been proud of. But we've also got to figure out what this team does and what this team does well and, and get on it and, and get after it.
what's the big rivalry game for for you guys? I know what people want me to say. Uh, it should be Geneva because we've played them for 134 years. Um, it's called the game, but it's W and J, uh, and you know it's it's W and J because they are uh, you know in our league one of the top consistent teams, and so. We have a different approach, you know. They're they're more up tempo, spread, throw the ball around a little bit. Um, we're more of a get in your face and run it down your throat and play great defense. And so, we recruit a lot of the same guys. Um, you know, they recruit a ton of Whippeal kids. We recruit a lot of Western Pennsylvania kids, and so um, that just creates a lot of uh, rivalry, and and it's a good thing. Um, you know, I enjoy those games. Those are what we call benchmark games, and they've been very competitive. So that's, I would definitely say them. So you have Wittenberg on the schedule again this year, now down to one non-conference game. How long do you keep them, and then who's next if you've scheduled out that far? Yeah, with, with, um, I, I spent a year uh, at Wittenberg, so um, really respect Coach Fincham and that program. It's tremendous history, and they're, they're a team that just they just ooze we've been there. I love that about them. And I, and I purposely picked them for a reason because I want our players to see that. Um, so then we have a, a bridge game capital and then we ca we got Mount union and they're, they're a 50 mile away. And I remember when they approached us, I went to our AD and said, and, and our AD Jim Daffler coached at Mount union. And um, he said, are you, are you sure you want to do this? I said, coach, absolutely. I want to see, the best and we want to compete against the best and that's what we want to do so let's see what what's the gap you know are we three points are we 20 points i want to see it because i have so much i mean it's just people that don't follow division three don't have an idea of how amazing that program has been and i just have so much respect for it because to be that good for that long that's just you know you have to tip your hat to them so yeah, we've got them. We're going to kick off on, on them at their place in 2020, and then they're coming to New Wilmington. And so we have six national championships. They have ooh, 11. So that'll be 18. 18 national championships will take the field when we get to play them. Keith, Scott Benzel, and Westminster in Geneva, they play the game. Well, as I said to you when we talked about this off air, if, if we wanted people to not steal our name, we should have come up with a more original name for the Randolph-Macon-Hampton-Sydney game. I really got a very uh, upfront depiction of how big Division Three is, but also how long 500 miles is. Because like I said, I drove to Westminster um, and then here down here to D.C. Uh, the 500-mile radius for Westminster extends as far west as Carthage. That's within 500 miles. And, and you know we do this every November, November. Yeah. Um, but the, but sometimes you know just you just don't match up certain states in your head with being close to other states. The one you know when there's a, a school in in New York, maybe like the Rochester area, is actually not that far from Ohio. Right. If if we're talking about the eastern part of Ohio where Mount Union is, so. Or like a school in Atlanta is within 500 miles of schools in Indiana and stuff like that, which yeah. you wouldn't naturally think of. Right, but but also, you know, that may also just be showing how uh, you were raised in the Midwest. and <laughs> I, was, I was raised in the Northeast, and so, you know, the, the lower Midwest and the South is funky to us. Not to get too map geeky, but the, there's a, there's one that always throws me where when you're like you realize Kansas and Colorado touch. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. like Kansas is like super Midwest. Colorado is like the Rockies. You would think they're not that close to each other, but 
We call you guys the Hyphenation Bowl, maybe. That's a terrible name. That's probably why I didn't go there. I down. understand why it's a terrible. I understand it's a terrible name. <laughs> also, maybe in 1893 they didn't foresee this thing going on uh, for another hundred and some odd years, and or that there are other small colleges in other parts of the country yeah, who also play games. Game. Right. It was a much different world in the 1890s, from from what I've read. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. We talked even more. I talked even more with Coach Benzel off of the off of the recording um, about. Western Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania football. You know, it's not a lot of these schools have not been in Division Three for a long time. Westminster, obviously, one of them. Geneva, St. Vincent, not only wasn't in Division Three but didn't have football for a long time. Uh, but the it, it does sound like the the tradition and the traditional strength and style of Whippiel WPIL or WPIL Western Pennsylvania football may still uh, may still be as strong, and that's just something that we have not had as much exposure to in Division Three. I, along those same lines, I was actually fascinated by being reminded that Westminster has won six NAIA titles. Yeah. There are so many schools in D3 that have a history previous to being in D3, whether it's Linfield, St. John's, um, schools of, 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 right, of that nature who were very successful in, in their NAIA days. Um, you know, or, or more recently, um, you know, Geneva was one of the last ones to come over and was coming over at a time when they were successful. And my, my thought at the time was they're just going to, you know, keep on running that train right into D3, and it, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. I think I think it's fascinating that, first of all, I, you just you just learn stuff. I mean, I don't know how many of our podcast listeners knew that, that Westminster had a history of, of being a championship-level team. But um, as a as a program too you have to you have to work with what you got we talk about this all the time and we, we talk about this in the in the interview with uh, with coach Cotillius but it you know every school's got its own recruiting challenges its own things that it wants to highlight when it goes out on the recruiting trail and if you got six national titles you know most of these kids you recruit are not going to know the difference between a d3 title and an ai title anyway you just come in the building and you see that or you put that on your uh, material when you send it out there and uh, you know it doesn't. I don't think it matters if it's if it's twenty or thirty years old or however many years old. You know, I, I'm sure I'm sure you get a you get a recruiting letter email from uh, I don't know from Allegheny, no. right? Not a tweet right now. I bet it still says 1990 national title. I bet you get something from Ithaca. It says it's got national titles on there. You get those. Those are forever. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we have a special treat for you. Uh, not only am I here, but Keith McMillan is in the room as well. And we're at Catholic University, where I went to school and where I think Keith's most uh, resounding career highlight took place. Uh, we're chatting with uh, head coach Mike Atelius of Catholic University. First of all, uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. I'm glad to talk to you guys. This is awesome. It is, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for me, too, and it's been uh, a lot of fun just chatting with you over the course of the previous hour, uh, which is not something that we'll submit as a separate podcast. So you came back here as head coach a little bit over a year ago in your first season, uh, not only dealing with uh, adjusting to a new-slash-old place that has changed quite a bit in the 20-some years since you played here, but also transitioning to a new conference, spending a lot of time on the bus as you know, this first season for you has wrapped up and you're looking into year two, what was just kind of encapsulate that whole process for us? Uh, I think it was, a, it was a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, that was for me arriving here, getting my bearings back. There was a lot that was similar. There was a lot that changed. 
Um, and then going into a new conference, there was some more travel. But in the end, it didn't wind up being such a transition for the guys because we were the northernmost team in a southern conference. Now we're just the southernmost team in a northern conference. So um, there's probably maybe one more long bus ride. Um, but what we did find was that we just sort of standardized procedure. We said, we, you know, you grab your two waters, get on the bus, and we take off. We practice halfway, get lunch, finish the trip. And so uh, whether the trip was six hours or eight hours, we kind of followed the same policy, which made it just seem like this is what we do on away games to the guys. So I think that was a good move. Um, you know, some of the ups, we won uh, five games, which they hadn't done in you know four years or so. So I think we're heading the right direction. Some of the downs are that uh, we probably let a couple get away that if we had uh, been able to do what I thought we could do, we, we would have had a good shot at. So, you know, five and five probably sums it up. It was, it was a good start, but not where we're, what we're aiming for. One of the things I think we all noticed when the new Mac was formed and the, the lineup for it was uh, put together was that someone coming in and, and playing against the teams in this conference is going to have to really know how to defend the triple option. What was the what was that experience like? It was uh, it was a change for the team quite a bit. You know, uh, in the ODAC, you had Washington and Lee, but that was typically the only option team, I think, that we're, that we're facing. Uh, then to turn around and add uh, Merchant Marine Academy as, as a conference team and uh, Maine Maritime, um, and then, of course, Springfield, who runs the option very well. Uh, you know, and to get them all three coming at you, the only benefit I'll say is, is that on the schedule, they're relatively close together. So you can switch your defensive preparation, really, for the year toward geared towards an option scheme. Um, many times, you, a team only have one week to get ready. We had, really, three weeks to get ready for the option, and... Um, now, we didn't do very well against it, especially at Springfield, and, and we're going to continue to improve. But it is such a different style of football compared to traditional spread offenses that, that is, you know, taken root. Um, you know, I'm not even sure what sp spread means anymore. I think it sort of means shotgun one back and you're going to throw it more than you run it. But um, you certainly didn't see that against Springfield or Merchant Marine or Maine Maritime. Uh, you know, I think like six passes per game was the average in that. So that was definitely a different style. Uh, and, you know, so the benefit was they were sort of close together. The downside is it's not what you see on um, a typical game prep week. Was defending the triple option, was it different for the kids because they don't see it in high school as much as maybe we would have when, when we played in high school? And I'm going to put us in the same general <laughs> yeah. years. I think that's, that's a lot of it. Um, and w what I've found is that the option teams, those coaches have run it uh, for a long time, or they played for someone who ran it. And so it's almost, um, it's part of their heritage as much as anything else. And then the flip side of that is the teams that don't run it, or the young guys that came up through programs that don't run it, it's not like a, an offense you can dabble in. So you'll see, um, you know, some teams might switch to a wing tee or something like that, which is a big commitment, but nobody sort of runs option for a week or puts in a you know, set of plays for the, you know, the option. You either run it or you don't run it. So that limits the exposure. Actually brings up a question that Keith and I talk a lot on this podcast about the difference in an option team when you have a first-year quarterback versus a, a second- or third-year quarterback, that it really something flips on, the switch flips on. You saw, of course, a variety and, and a couple of uh, really senior quarterbacks. Do you, how much of a difference do you see from the other end when you're going against a, a team that really has it locked in? Yeah, it's it's really scary because they wind up, uh, you know, they they tag 
the tempo with that option. And so what happens is you get an experienced quarterback who can run it faster and they get to the line and they're ready to run the next play and you're still trying to figure out whether it was a dive, a quarterback or a pitch on the previous one and they're having a snap. And, um, you know, what it comes, I think the biggest advantage what a senior type quarterback has is you're not going to throw anything at them that they haven't seen several times before and they already have an answer for it so they can make checks at the line and adjust it or they know how they're going to change their read and that makes it tough as a as a you know if your defense coordinator has a tough time because you're not going to give them something they haven't seen before so what happens is if if your players aren't good enough to play a base and beat them with it then you're in for a long day because you can't get gimmicky, you can't get fancy on defense. You know, where you'll face a top passing quarterback, and you could throw a few different coverage looks at them that you just worked on that week and change them up a little bit. If you try that against an option team that's coming at you fast, you'll pay for it. When you played here, when I worked here, when Keith played against Catholic here, you know, this place was. Well, first of all, this office uh, whole setup wasn't even here. Uh, it's kind of a dumpy grass field. Uh, there's no lights. Press box is pretty dingy. Bleachers are pretty awful. A lot of changes have uh, gone on here since uh, since 20 years ago. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the things that are new now. Right, we uh, we're very blessed to have um, new offices that are you know they are technically what used to be the racquetball courts. So they because racquetball courts are so tall, they put a floor in about halfway up, and below it is locker room space, and above it is offices and. The nice thing was that when they did that, that gave us a fresh look, and it also put all the coaches together because when you know when you were working here, when I went here, they didn't have the staff that you have now in Division Three football. So you had the head coach's office and maybe one assistant. Now that you have a real staff, you need office space to do game planning and have your meetings and do that. So I think the university's commitment to being you know, a championship-level football team started with making sure that we're able to do championship level work in this office and that's a bonus the the field turf they put in two years ago was a real commitment to making the field top of line it was it's it's it is field turf product it's wonderful to play on um it's fantastic and they still have further plans to develop the stadium um but it's you know it's not it's not that you're right that grass field and that that dirt that we played on was um was was something else so uh but having a field turf out there the guys are getting tired of me talking about the old days playing on dirt and grass and you know and leather helmets and the rest so and that's sort of part of being old right you get to talk right, about that right. um i wanted to ask about about heritage you mentioned that when you were talking about the option coaches what parts of the heritage or the catholic tradition did you want to keep uh, things that that you remember from when you were here as a player and what things were so different or or, or you know so new that you that you didn't want to keep it's uh you know really it goes all the way back to us taking pride in you know the the prior to world war ii we were a, a national power in football playing in the orange bowl and the sun bowl um and you know that may be ancient history but it's who the school was and like many places when football went away because of the you know developments of world war ii and what happened after that um when they brought football back in the 70s as club first then going division three after that there were some really great teams you know that were fantastic here and then the playoff years of 97 98 99 um that's what we want to get back to is that level of competition of understanding that we are that that's going to be the standard of play that we want to have on a regular basis, not the exception year. That's um, going to take a lot of work, but it's not. It's been done here before, so it's not like I'm um, trying to do it at a place from the ground up. It's it's 
it's not foreign to this place to have playoff teams. And, you know, there's a basketball national championship. We've got football playoff games. You know, right now, our, uh, tomorrow, women's lacrosse is playing in the NCAA tournament. So there's, it's just excellence is expected. Now, I think there had been a slight dip. I won't call it complacency, but I think there was um, football in Division Three has become way more than it was when I played. You know, it really is fantastic football. And I won't say they weren't playing it, but Catholic had um, found itself in a position where it was performing uh, subpar, you know. And um, so that was the part that I wanted to change. As far as keeping the idea of what the past was in terms of victories, absolutely. And then the times when we weren't the best, that's when that's my job to come in and make sure that all of our actions and behaviors align with the desire to get back to the playoffs. So, so another thing Pat and I find fascinating, the, the more people we talk to across Division Three, is that sort of everybody has their own unique set of challenges. The example I always bring up is Coast Guard. You know, they can only recruit guys a certain height and weight. Uh, some schools, it's it's um, it costs fifty thousand dollars to go there, or some schools have academic concerns, or all kinds of different things. For for Catholic, you guys are, I'm assuming, generally trying to recruit from Catholic schools. So when you switched. Um, conferences and you're now recruiting are are you I should ask it as a question are you recruiting now more in the Northeast I know you always had players from uh, from New Jersey and Massachusetts on the roster as well does that actually does where you guys are located uh, in the conference now does that actually help with recruiting as opposed to the ODAC or is it sort of a non-factor I think um, it doesn't hurt where our name will be a little more familiar to some of the, uh, you know, that, that 95 corridor heading north, there's a lot of people who were, you know, raised Catholic up in that area. So that's a natural connection. Um, you know, I, I don't think, and I th- a lot of our players were from, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, those areas, New Jersey, a ton from there, um, you know, the Philly area. So that that's not going to necessarily change, but playing up there gives a lot of our alums, probably more than recruiting, gives our alums the chance to see us play without having to come back to D.C., although we do want them back on campus as much as we can get them. Uh, but they will see us in, you know, we play Merchant Marine Academy, so that's a New York game, and you play Coast Guard in Connecticut, and then we're up in the uh, Boston area a couple times a year. Um, so that's that that's good for that. Uh, but we, we're going to bring in a class this year of the largest number of Virginia players that we've had, um, you know, and we're going to try and spread out a little bit to Western PA. Yeah, there's a lot of Division three schools there, but we, we want to head that direction and really uh, extend our recruiting into Ohio. Um, and the easy connection is to hit the Catholic high schools first, but we certainly don't want to exclude anybody. You know, we're going to go to the good high schools and get the good players. Um, but there is just a natural... Um, connection if you've attended a Catholic high school that Catholic University can feel comfortable to you but it's not uncomfortable for the others but they don't have you know someone coming from a public high school may not have had four years of it the way someone coming from you know um, uh, Bishop Moeller in Cincinnati would. Keith we talk about the triple option a lot and defending the triple option because it's fun to talk about, but it was nice to have that conversation, I think, with somebody who doesn't actually run it and has to see it multiple times from the opposite side of the ball. I thought the other thing, too, is we do spend a lot of time in the offseason on abstract program building kind of stuff yeah. and what it's like for players to try to make it to the NFL and the sort of things we don't get to talk about week to week. But got to hear little X's and O's in there and you start to think, wow, man, this is the May podcast and June we'll start thinking about what we want to do for kickoff. And, you know, before you know it, 
uh, players will be reporting to campus and, and football will be back. So I get a little little taste of, of X's and O's in the offseason. I think I'd like to just point out that, Pat, for as long as you've done this, you've been very fair, um, not overplaying where you went to school and what your alma mater is. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't start uh, D3 football necessarily to um, aggrandize Catholic football. Sure. But to see you in your element, to be back here and to hear you and Coach, who also went here, talking about buildings on campus and things that, you know, you, I, I, I'm just like watching you guys go back and forth like a tennis match. And uh, it, it's very neat because it, everyone out there can relate to that feeling, I think, when you go back to campus and uh, you haven't been in a long time. And, and you know, you, it just brings back memories. Yeah, you know, we moved out of here in uh, August of 2008. I haven't been to a football game here since at least 2007, maybe even earlier. Um, you know, I get a chance to poke my head in on campus because I'm still here twice a year uh, and probably still will be, even though we don't have a stag bowl or a final four to go to. I'll still have a kid to pick up from college. So I've seen some of the changes go on, and it's nice to see that uh, you know the stadium has made some upgrades in its uh, in its way in the Catholic way. Maybe there will be a scoreboard at some point. Although that wasn't even something that we talked about. It's just nice to see that things go on and they do become better. And sometimes I'm cynical about my alma mater, and maybe we all are in on some level. But you know, sometimes there are positive things. It's weird because it's not the it's not the place you went anymore. Especially if if you if you've graduated several years down ago and the coach you played for isn't there anymore and they hired someone from the outside and so it's got a new culture and you don't you don't run the campus anymore you don't know all the people a lot of campuses still have you know like longtime employees you know whether it's someone that works in the athletic department or the bookstore or whatever that kind of that you still see faces that you know when you come back to campus after a while but but it is it's interesting because the the further you get away from your time on campus you know, you you do feel a little more distant to it. It's not your people anymore. Your the way we used to do things. Things change. The games change. The the style changes. But not all the changes are bad. You know, we've both now come back to our campuses and seen the the growth, the the physical growth of of the college. You know, at Randolph Macon, it, it it's just becoming a um, you know they they put some money into building up the campus to where it's like a really unique place to play a football game now. Where before it was. Eh, it was a field, yeah. and it was neat because it was where we played, but it right. was nothing special about it. And that's something that, you know, you didn't have to go to one of our uh, alma maters to, to be able to relate to. I think a lot of folks uh, out there listening, you know, some people play for St. John's, and they'll always play for this iconic program and this iconic place. And some of us play for, you know, a different college, and the, and the field wasn't much, and the program was still in its infancy or whatever, and you get to see it grow over the course of, of, of several years. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now is the time of the podcast where we dive into Twitter. We know you still have questions, even though it's the off season. So we throw out that reminder to hit us up when it's time for Keith and me to step into the studio, whether that's Mike Gatilius's office or maybe we have to hit Pedro Ruz's office in some future uh, spring or some future August uh, in order to uh, kind of complete this trifecta. But we did get a question from uh, Andrew, who is O Drum O. H-D-R-U-M-M on Twitter who said, how deep does the Porman transfer really affect Mount or Mary Harden Baylor? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, 
Keith. Of course, uh, Luke Porman, for those of you who don't know, missed last month's podcast, didn't visit the front page for six weeks. Um, he's the number two quarterback, was the number two quarterback at Mountain Union, transferred to Mary Harden Baylor, presumably is going to be the starter there this fall. And, you know, I think we have to, and my assumption is it really affects Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, I don't know how much it affects Mountain Union. I think that's almost exactly what I would say. First of all, it's a great question. Um, it's a much bigger deal for UMHB than it is for Mountain Union because Mountain Union uh, already was going to have D'Angelo Fulford starting for next year and the year after, in theory, and uh, and, and Luke Porman same came in the same year, same recruiting class. Um, they had the two had battled for the job uh, initially, so um, if, you know he wasn't wasn't going to play. Yeah. Smart move for him. Uh, not just to find a place to play, but to find a place where you potentially could play Mountain Union again down the road in another one of the, these two teams have had some pretty epic games. I mean, to be honest, the Stag Bowl, which was 12-0, was probably the least exciting of the, the four matchups f- between the teams. Um, it's, a, it's a huge deal for, Mount, for Mary Harden-Baylor, especially if um, if Carl Robinson III isn't coming back next season. He was the freshman starter who started for them in the Stag Bowl. And it sounds like he's not. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, not just random baseless speculation. <laughs> right. Um, it's uh, a base, base, yeah, base speculation full. with a base. It's no oh. speculation, though. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were going to be in need of a quarterback. And certainly any program of that size has other guys in the pipeline. But to get somebody who who's threw for 670 yards and seven touchdowns in a playoff game, round three, as Luke Porman did yeah. uh, last season when he, when he made the start for Mountain Union, someone who's been there, who's um, not going to be phased by the enormity of what the challenge is at Mary Harden Baylor, which is to get back to the Stag Bowl and, and bring another one back to Belton, Texas. I don't know how many people out there got to listen to the In the Huddle interview with Luke Porman, and, and it was, you know, 25 minutes long or something like that. So it, understandable if, if you didn't listen to the whole thing. But if you, if you listen to our whole podcast, you might as well listen to the whole In the Huddle. Especially in the off season. I mean, you've I mean, got, yeah, a, you've got a month yeah, between our podcasts. What else are you doing? But to, but to boil it down... Um, he just sounds like a kid with his head on straight and, and will fit in well at Mary Harden-Baylor. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a tough season for Mary Harden-Baylor to start next year without Coach Fredenberg, so it'll be nice to have a steadying influence at quarterback. Yeah, I guess the other half of that story, which uh, we, we should also, of course, remind people of if you did not listen to last month's podcast, Pete Fredenberg was suspended for three games over uh, extra benefits given to two football players. Uh, they self-reported that, uh, so they suspended uh, Coach Fredenberg for three games. We've tried pretty hard to get some of this stuff on the record. What I have heard off the record sounds like it's fairly minor. A former player who was a GA lending something to a buddy of his, but that guy is also a, still a current student, stuff like that, you know, things that where the relationship between people changes when you are now part of the coaching staff and you're no longer a teammate. You can't just give, you know, let somebody, oh, I don't know, borrow a car or crash in your apartment or something like that. That's interesting that um, because I, could, I, could, I remember every, pretty much every year we, we had someone who was a player as a senior join the coaching staff. And, and for D3, it makes a lot of sense to have somebody like that because 
um, for the for the player. You know, they get to still they get to still be around campus, live for free generally, but um, but make a little money. And then they don't have to grow up right away. I think that was part of it too. Like they don't have to go right into the workforce. And then meantime, right, that they they don't have to, the coaching staff doesn't have to pay for a full time coach, yeah. but they get someone who's familiar with the program and knows all that stuff. So all that se- seems um, perfectly plausible. So to send us a Twitter question for the podcast, you just have to hit us at at D3Football at the right time. That's about how it goes. We will throw that uh, reminder out there on Twitter. And generally, you have about 45 minutes to get back. So uh, thank you for that question. We've been talking with coaches and our interview subjects about what movies they would compare their teams to. We did that this month as well. The one movie that would kind of describe who we are here would be the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's probably the biggest resolve movie there is, that they were given a task to do, and no matter what the outcome, they were going to complete that task. And we talk to our kids about that all, all the time, Titan Resolve, that the things that we do are the right things, and, and we believe in them. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have success in our program. Game of Thrones, we are the house of Stark because we are the northerners. And we got a mixed bag up there. We got country kids, we got some hunters, we got some fishermen, we've got um but we feel noble. We feel like we do things the right way. And um so when we play other teams, we kind of compare them to some of the different houses in Game of Thrones. And um you know, we go so far as to carry that wolf out on a flag. Probably the first one that jumps to mind is Goodfellas. But one of the main reasons is during the season, as we were working through some of our challenges, I told the guys that, that football is a lot like Paulie in Goodfellas. You know, and he, he over, takes over the restaurant to help out. I forget the character's name. To help him out. Um, the, the, the downside is it doesn't matter. You have to pay Paulie no matter what. You have a bad week, too bad, pay Paulie. You know, and football's like that. You, you know, your girlfriend breaks up, you're too bad. You, you, you know, pay Paulie. You've got to be at practice. You've got to perform. And, uh, and so that sort of became a mantra for the guys is, hey, we've got to pay Paulie. And, um, you know, and so Goodfellas is really the, the one that fits probably when I think about this team. Keith, we ended up with uh, Saving Private Ryan, Game of Thrones, and Goodfellas out of this list. It's kind of heavy, yeah. save, Saving Private Ryan. Um, yeah, actually, all these, I guess, are, I guess are a little heavy. And uh, we won't nitpick. Is there a Game of Thrones movie? Uh, you know what? I wasn't right. going to tell him. I wasn't going to tell him he couldn't use it. Yeah, cl- close enough, right? Where uh, copy editors by nature, sometimes we point out things we notice. Uh, all three of them are great answers, to be honest with you, because you do adapt this personality. Um, but they, but each, you know, you're teaching. The coaches are all teachers, and they're teaching something. So each one of these movies sort of represents something that they're teaching. I like the, you know, you got to pay Paulie, right? Doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what's going on in class, whether you played poorly last week. Doesn't matter. You got another game. You got another practice. You got to get better. You, and that's so much of of sports is is uh, in your head, you know, confidence game, and and uh, that's that's a good lesson to take away. You know, the saving Private Ryan lesson is is obviously sort of self-explanatory and then the Game of Thrones to, to really uh, adapt that personality I think is you know you're just staying in touch with what's current keeping the kids in and, and having them have fun time for the music Every thought of yours is a friend I should mention DJ Mentos before the final minute of the podcast but uh, it's his music Keith, we did also learn here in the course of making this podcast that there will be, of course, we knew there was a a Guru Bowl in 2018. There won't be one in 2019, but it will be continuing. I know that uh, other people on our staff have kind of taken Guru Bowl and run with it maybe more than you and I have over the course of the last couple years, but I'm just happy that Catholic and Randolph Macon will still play each other. And again, like I I try to take everything when we talk about our alma maters and and 
extrapolated or related out so that that people who you know couldn't care less about the Cardinals and Yellow Jackets can kind of find something in their conference that's similar. Yeah. You know, this is a case where two schools don't have a natural rivalry because they're not we're not in the same conference for all other sports. So Catholic was a was a football only add to the ODAC, ended up being pretty good at the same time and so it became a competitive rivalry they played some great games and it, be, it was one of those games where it was never meant to be a rivalry but it sort of became one in, in some way you know there's some probably some mutual respect but there's also schools hour and a half away depending on traffic might be two and a half hours you know 90, that 95 can be a bear now um <laughs> it ended up just becoming a good series and i think there are there are probably a handful of, of programs out there that have someone who's non-conference who, uh, that you really enjoy playing. And so that's why we, we like that game, not just because it's, it's our alma maters, but because it always, you know, whether they, they just always seem to be about the same level at the same time. So yeah. when Catholic was not so hot, Macon was not so hot, and so the games were good. I think the most interesting coaching change of the last month or so kind of plays into this as well. Uh, Tom Jernell had, had been the head coach at UW-Stevens Point, was head coach at Elmers before that, and now he's going to try to turn Carleton around. And Carleton seems like a, a school where maybe football is not so valued, maybe it doesn't fit into the campus culture. Uh, and they've also struggled on the field over the course of the last few years, uh, struggling in terms of numbers. And that, you know, if, if we really wanted to dig into it, that's probably a school that is, you know, in an alternate universe is in the Occidental situation and could still get there someday. Yeah, and and the the flip side is there are super elite academic schools that are in conferences where they're the, the top. You know, they're recruiting a different a different um, group of kids, mm-hmm. um, and, but they still compete. Washington Lee does it in the ODAC. Johns, Johns Hopkins, Hopkins in the Centennial. Um, and and not saying that they're they're better or worse because because you know the academic standards are, are more stringent or you know in the case of like it like an rpi or wpi where they're recruiting they're recruiting different kids because they study different things yeah each d3 school has to kind of figure out its niche and then figure out how to be successful within that niche and that's why you know for us the off-season podcasts are fascinating because everybody we talk to has this different story you know you interview norwich they're they're dealing with something completely different than what catholic is dealing with and, and what um you know, Wesley or whoever is dealing with, and, and, and uh, everybody's trying to figure out how to succeed with, within their individual set of challenges. We both used the phrase on the record yeah. during this, uh, oh, yeah. during the podcast. <laughs> and this is like one of my pet peeves, right? The difference between, oh, we, off the record, sorry. Yeah. Off the record versus not for attribution versus on, on background. background. Yeah, right. good point. So since we have a, today's, today's daily journalism lesson is uh, when, when, Something is off the record. In theory, you're not even supposed to write it down. You're supposed to put your pen down. And, and as a journalist, you don't even, it's really almost of no value to you because you, you don't know it. All you're doing in that situation is letting commi- the person talk. <laughs> right. You're committing to keep someone else's secret because now I've heard this thing from you, but I've agreed to not report it. So if I hear it from someone else, but I've told you it's off the record, puts me in an ethical bind. So you don't. I don't want to got to stop using the phrase off the record. That's fair. Well, and so I used it uh, re- in talking about Coach you, Ash. Yeah, right? you. I think you said on the recording. You said it. You said it the <laughs> right way. I used the word phrase off, off the record. I should have said not for attribution, which is what 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 it means when someone gives you something that they find with you reporting. They just don't want their name attached to it. 
That's the uh, Journalism 200 level course brought to you by Keith McMillan, and uh, we appreciate that. We definitely need more of that in this uh, country, uh, maybe even more of it on this website, because now that I've been out of the daily grind for seven years, I begin to forget some of these things, too. And that's the type of thing that if you listen to the end of the podcast <laughs> and you just let it roll, that you might find interesting. And if you don't care, you know, you just cut it off and, and uh, go on to the next podcast. No, no, don't cut it off, because uh, we still got to tell you that this was Around the Nation podcast number 195, released on May 14th, 2018. Thanks for listening. And uh, of course, keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the off season. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or, you know, maybe you listen to them on iHeartRadio app and you can uh, rate them there. That'd be great. Regardless of however you do it, please do that so it'll help other football fans find it. And you can still leave comments on the blog page. That's still a thing people do. Uh, You can, uh, or email us or tweet us. We'll get to that in a second because the executive producer of the Round the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman, production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and by Keaton Coleman on this month's podcast. Uh, Our theme music and the other music in between is by DJ Mentos. You can find it at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests, Norm Esch, Scott Benzel, Mike Atelius, and then Sports Information Directors Stu Salowitz, uh, Nathan LaRiccia, and Mike Gambardella for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation podcast on d3football.com and the guy sitting across the table from me. This is awesome. Is my, my co-host Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter. That's the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Only founded in 1998. You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. B-O-A-R-D-S.com. And you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook as well. We're in the Division Three football offseason, but there's still new content on D3Football.com on a regular basis. We continue to follow coaching changes that hasn't ended yet. There's The carousel is still turning. Players with prospects to play in the pros. I'll say it that way. Just pop as many peas into that microphone as possible. Uh, there are still a handful of 2018 football schedules that are out there. Plus, you can find a new podcast in this feed from us each month. And- Keith will continue to take uh, selfies or photos of us here working on this podcast. But I got like two minutes so I don't get to talk. I got to do something useful. <laughs> I uh, I really feel like I could still live in D.C. Even though it's 92 degrees today, it's apparently maybe the, be the, the hottest uh, May 11th on record. That's a possibility. We might get there today. Um, even though the traffic's awful. I just there's something about this area I just love being it, it's it's even though I haven't lived here since 2008 it's still like second home to me that's definitely a thing you say when you don't sit in the traffic regularly <laughs> when I don't leave here 365 days a year right, right. I live here five days a it's, year it's I, I like living here for for different reasons I, I love the, the diversity of the area and, and not just um, culturally but economically and it, it does seem to be there are always jobs and it's good pretty decent home market yeah um, and when I go some a lot of times for D3 travel when I go to other places that don't have such a robust you know you just don't have things to do in town and arts and mm-hmm. and, and um, like I said that the job market is always pretty good that, that makes me appreciate this area <laughs>